We'd like to give a special thanks to Astro Agency, the executive producers of Space and 60. They provide strategic marketing support exclusively for the space sector. Strategic because their team have all the vast experience working within space companies are setting them up. So they specialize in getting technical messaging and brand positioning just right, as well as having the industry connections to organize podcasts just like this one and their space bar webinars, which we'd highly recommend for new space networking. Check Astro Agency out on social media. They're in all the usual places. Welcome back to another episode of Space and 60. You've got me, Clint Grauman, and Thruster himself. You got Andrew on the line. Chad's still here. Today, I'm I'm really excited for one of the the guests that, or the guest that we have today, Chris Biddy from Astro Digital. We've got him waiting over in the wings in a separate room. He's just he can't wait to join the podcast. And so, but you know, Andrew and Chad are unbelievably important. So we're going to make Chris wait until they get their chance to talk today. So Andrew, what's been going on? I like how you describe that as he's waiting in another physical room when we all know there's no physical room. Of course, there's a physical room. It's a Zoom room. It's a Zoom room. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we have these days. It's been, you know, a year of Zoom rooms. It's all right. Can't wait to get to a real room with a real bar and some real drinks. And a real night's sleep. Andrew, I'm starting to think that this is a pattern with you. Like, it's always about the next conference in the next drink it's really about getting to i hope the missus isn't listening getting to the hotel and getting a full night's sleep yes see i knew it would come out at some point i knew the truth would rear its head up there (laughs) (laughs) oh none of us like to admit it but uh sometimes it is good to get on the road and and uh work and get a break Get a good night's sleep. Get a good night's sleep. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think during this, this time period, we've all gotten a lot of chances to get closer with our families, spend more time with them, especially those of us that are the road warriors and spend so much time on the road. But we've all had a chance to be with our family a lot more. And I, th- I think that's one of the, the best things that have come from, from this. Yeah, except now now my wife keeps wondering when I'm going to hit the road again. <laughs> it's a- <laughs> <laughs> like the Southern Wall in Canada. Can you blame her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so how are things going, Andrew, with the twins? I mean, you've you brought them home a while ago. How's it going? Uh, it's it's going. It's going every which direction, but we had a glimmer of hope here this past week where it was one one feeding at the night and so there was like four or five hours of sleep before the feeding and then another three and a half hours, four hours of sleep after the feeding. And I just felt amazing. It was, it's, it was fantastic. I got to imagine it was like landing something on Mars. Just felt that good. (laughs) You know, I've, I've been around a lot of engineering teams that are building satellites and there's no way when it's getting close to crunch time that they get nine hours of sleep. So I I would say you've got it made. (laughs) Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Totally agree. And I guess we'll find out from Chris exactly what it's like to build and launch satellites as well as have kids and and which one's harder. I'm always wondering which one's actually going to give you more sleep. It's a good question. We can get it firsthand. 
So you too, Chad, you've got a young one at home, a little bit further along than Andrew, but how's it going? Oh man, she's too easy at this point, but it's a girl. So, you know, she's going to give me a hard time growing up, but she's a sleeper. So that's all you can ask for. She sleeps and happy. Your sleepless nights are yet to come, Chad. Your oh, sleepless just nights. Not, are my other come. one's a teenager. So I'm taking from both sides of that, you know, teenage years and infant years. Yeah. So, and you know, I, I heard that Chris Biddy, who we're, we're having on today has recently had a kid and I, you know, running a startup, raising a family, having young kids, it's just such a challenge. And, you know, that's one of the unique things about the new space industry is that we've got so many companies in this industry that are early career professionals, young kids at home, launching satellites, launching rockets, preparing to put spacecraft on the moon all while managing a family at home, you know, and I, some days I just wonder how in the world we all do it. Well, we got to give some credit to the baby boomers and, and old space. Cause I think they did it way back then. We just don't quite relate at this, this moment. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, that I do see about new space, you get so many companies that are 20 people, 50 people, a hundred people, all a lot of professionals that are earlier in their career and having kids and raising families. And one of the companies that I and you, Andrew, also used to work with was a company called RapidEye. And one of my favorite pictures from working in the new space industry was, you know, more than 10 years ago where everyone at RapidEye gathered in the courtyard and we had a picture of all of the, the colleagues at the company and all of the families that began while working in new space, you know, we were building and launching satellites and selling data and raising kids. And you see all of these families that just started at the company where one, one spouse met the other, a partner, and then all of these families began. And, and that's one of my favorite pictures from working in the new space industry. That's pretty awesome. It is, it is pretty cool to be a part of it all. So I also, you know, with thinking about Chris Biddy and the work that he's doing at Astro Digital and building satellites, I'm totally going to uh, lead him into this. And I swear he'll never see it coming. But these these spacecraft are like a kid. You know, you start with them from the very beginning and you see them through to maturity and eventually you put it into space. And I think it's a lot like, you know, raising a, a kid or a family and that you you start from the beginning and it's and it's really just a small thing that you start with. And eventually you've got something at 500 kilometers in orbit and it's your job to you know keep it safe and operate it and hopefully complete its mission and someday you just you have to let it go but i'm really looking forward to speaking with chris today and learning about all the work that he's doing at astro digital with his team and can't wait to hear what it's all about let's get him in the room chris biddy at astro digital Chris Biddy, welcome to Space in 60. Thank you. Why in the world would you possibly want to be on a podcast with guys like us? Oh, man. I don't know. I think because you guys are interesting, maybe. I don't know. You don't have to say that just because it's our podcast. No. We, <laughs> you don't we have, have to be nice to Clint. We have that recorded now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting, man. I mean, you know, you guys have been around the industry for a while. You know, you know a lot of the trends. You've seen a lot of things happen and change and evolve and, and all that. So you might not believe it, but you guys are kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't believe it, especially about these two. I'm going to take that as a compliment. I'm chalking that one up too. I'm liking this. 
you know, Andrew and, and Chad and I wanted to have you on the podcast today because you guys at Astro Digital have been doing some really innovative things for a while. And sometimes you fly under the radar, but I don't think people realize just how much you've done and what you've done. And since you've joined the industry, you know, quite a few years ago, it's it's great to hear what your journey's been, you know, from from start until where you've arrived at today. And so I know that a lot of our listeners would just love to hear about what you're doing at Astro Digital, but but more what you've been achieving and what you've been doing. Yeah, I appreciate that, Clint. Yeah, we kind of joke internally that we're definitely uh, one of the quieter companies in the in the new space uh, arena. We haven't quite figured out how to market very well. And I, you know, maybe that's, maybe that shows what the focus of the company is, which is really, you know, the hardcore innovation and engineering, but we definitely need to speak more about it. Cause like you said, we, our team is amazing and um, we have done some really cool stuff. How did you get in the industry? Where was your, your start? Yeah, my start was back in college. I'm a, a Cal Poly alumni, you know, CubeSats were, were starting be, to become a thing when I was in school, there was a draw to it. I've always been into space. I've always thought it was cool, you know, as a kid, but kind of, kind of wasn't sure. didn't really consider myself having the opportunity to be involved in the industry as a younger kid. I was real into dirt bikes and race cars and all that kind of stuff. And I thought I'd be into motorsports, you know, honestly at the, at the early days, but when I was in college, getting the exposure to CubeSats and small sats and, and the people around it, I decided basically, you know, while I was in school studying engineering, that this is where I was going to go. This, this is where my career was going. Kind of didn't really look back. I, I started out at a super small company. I was the second employee, third person at the company. And uh, we did some, you know, some pretty interesting, you know, just different projects, very, very diverse projects, but all kind of aerospace related. Always been an entrepreneur at heart, you know, and come from a, a family of small business owners. And so I think it was maybe inevitable that I got into, you know, co-founding a company and, and uh, you know, building stuff in this industry. Where did you start? Like, did you work in, you started in commercial and did you ever work in government or, or what was your path? Yeah, yeah. Always commercial and actually always, I've still never worked at a big company. I've always been in pretty small, agile, small companies or startups. And, you know, along the way, sometimes that can be a pretty bumpy ride along the way, but interesting and fun, you know, just kind of, you know, worked our way through was, was persistent and always, you know, always wanting to do stuff that mattered and that was interesting. And, and so uh, kept at it as the new space industry, if you will, kind of evolved from almost nothing into, uh, into what it is today and, and uh, been, been happy to be a part of that ride. You may not have worked at a big company, but, but you guys are kind of a big deal these days and you've worked on some, some cool tech. And one of the things that, that I love about your story from, from what I know is you have had a little bit of a bumpy ride along the way with, with some launches and things like that. Is that anything that you finally come to terms with and, and feel comfortable talking about in public? <laughs> I know sometimes it's tough to talk about these things, but I'd, I'd love to hear your experiences there. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, it certainly is. So like you mentioned, the launches, yeah, our first two launches as a, as a company were failures, and that was pretty terrible. 
That was multiple satellites, thousands of hours of labor and effort kind of down the tubes. Although I don't look at it that way because uh, all the engineering effort and development effort, you definitely piggyback on that, you know, for, for other missions and programs, even if those individual satellites were lost. That was pretty tough as a small company, you know, with limited funding and limited runway and, you know, trying to get to the next milestone. It was a pretty tough thing to absorb and come out of. Fortunately, we had we had some insurance policies around the uh, around the launches, and so it gave the company a second chance. We have a lot of grit and a lot of uh, uh, perseverance as a company, and we dealt with it. We we came through it. You know, was able to keep going. I think we kind of refused to uh, quit and <laughs> and you know refused to go away. <laughs> so that was one of the hard things early on. And then you know, there's I mean, this industry it's it's just tough. You know hear the whole space is hard thing. It's hard to build a company. It's it's hard to, you know, this this technology is not easy. There's a lot of things that are that are outside of building the satellite that a lot of people don't, you know, don't appreciate, like uh like getting licenses and authority to actually launch and operate your satellite. Oh, those, those things are just rubber stamp, right? You just turn them in and they, they stamp them and send <laughs> yeah. them back. Yeah, yeah. Piece of cake. Yeah, yeah. Any crazy thing you think of is, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> You know, that's that's definitely difficult. This is a very highly regulated industry. As a technical person coming into an industry like that, it's hard to wrap your head around that until you go through it. Not only do we have technical risk, but we also have regulatory risk and financial risk. So there you go. That sounds like a great opportunity, right? The trifecta for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, there's there's just a lot of things to handle and and to uh, to work through. With the dual use nature of some of this technology, you know, there's other considerations around that that is needed to be addressed and and monitored. And that's also something that, you know, as a technology person coming into the industry, you may not realize or as a as a very engineering focused team and group. It's something that can be overlooked and something that can't be overlooked because it's really important. So. In your line of work and in the space industry today, I think one of the things that sets a young company apart in the space industry versus looking at a, a young company in the software business, I mean, the hardware is just such a different ballgame and raising money to to get that type of company off the ground. I think that that's something that resonates with so many in the space industry that maybe the software guys have it easy. What do you think about that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's easy to it's easy to look at it that way because yeah, it seems like uh, you know, for majority of venture capitalists, they're looking at companies that that have the opportunity to scale super super quickly. In a lot of cases, that's a software, more of a software company. I think hardware is scary to a lot of investors because it's hard, it's got a perception of maybe having lower margins or maybe being harder to scale from the outside looking in it's like yeah well man if you know if only if only we didn't have this nasty hardware element we have to deal with <laughs> if only we were a pure software company it's kind of funny too to look at the industry and see uh see companies that clearly have a large hardware element you know kind of spinning the pitch to be more software right oh no no we're <laughs> we're pure software don't worry about this little uh, satellite satellite hardware here you know I think you missed the opportunity there, though, Chris. Like, as soon as you say there's going to be something in space, do you want to sign it? All of a sudden, 
oh, the checkbook's open. <laughs> it's pretty easy to raise money in the space industry, right? They're just throwing money at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy for SpaceX to raise money in the industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, I if I were you, I don't even know if I could sleep at night knowing that I put something in space, you know, and how does that that feel to be the guy that went to sleep one night and woke up the next day and put something in space? Yeah, yeah, it's really cool, man. We've delivered, I don't know, more than a dozen satellites since we started. And every single one, it's just that super cool feeling of knowing that, you know, some hardware that you you touched or that you developed in some way or had some some impact in, right, in the design or or whatever. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's a big motivating factor for a lot of us in the team uh, and for me personally too. I think for us too, it's a little bit shorter lived, more shorter lived than it should be because we're always looking at, okay, all right, cool, we did that. What's the next thing? You know, push the goalposts. What's new? What's harder? Yeah, I can't imagine being able to come home at Christmas and and you visit all the family and they say, Chris, what'd you what'd you do this year? I put something at 500 kilometers in space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, still, some people are like, wait, what? <laughs> you did what? <laughs> like, you know, a satellite. Oh, you mean that that like dish shaped looking thing on the side of your roof? No, no, no. <laughs> a satellite <laughs> in space. There's so many people that listen to this podcast that come from different parts of the space industry that never actually touch the aspect of putting something in orbit. And, you know, there's so much that goes into that, so much hard work and so much unseen work that happens by the people on your team. And it's to know that you not only are a part of that, but you started it all. I mean, we 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 joke, but it's not really a joke. It's like, do you know how, do you realize how many miracles have to happen to get something into orbit? You know, I mean, like everything from the, the launch vehicle itself is, is like a miracle. I mean, to have something, you know, with that much power and, you know, energy, you know, to be able to get something into orbit, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, plus all the other non-technical stuff, non-hardware stuff (laughs) that it takes to get into orbit outside of the design, even of the satellite. And, now it's like, how can we impact in a positive way more and more people and businesses, you know, with our technology? And that's that's a really fun thing to think about, you know, as we as we grow. So is there anything that people are coming, you know, knocking on your door saying, hey, can you do this with satellites that they weren't doing maybe five, 10 years ago? Yeah. You know, the trend that we've seen over the last five years, there's been a shift from each company that has a, a space-based application or, you know, or a, a need to use space in some way to provide a service. The trend used to be that every company, you know, was planning to build their own satellites and kind of reinventing the wheel. We're seeing the complete opposite of that, where a lot of new companies, new entrants, and as well as established companies are, are looking at companies like Astro Digital to basically provide that kind of infrastructure, you know, the satellite and the related infrastructure and services around the satellite as a service or, you know, as something provided by a third party rather than having to build completely on their own. And where, you know, a lot of our customers are coming to us, you know, to basically build out the whole thing other than the payload or the the specific service. And that was a that was a hypothesis we had going back a few years that, you know, we thought had some merit, but we weren't sure. You know, there's a lot of traction around that now. It's it's proving to be a good hypothesis. You know, I think investors and, and management at established companies recognize the benefits of doing that also, you know, of, of working with someone like us that has 
quite a bit of experience now, you know, in building these, these smaller satellites and operating them as well. So I want to back up just a bit. You said as a service, what does satellite as a service mean? Yeah, Clint, I'm really glad you asked that question because I think there's a lot of, or there's potentially a lot of confusion around that term because most people are familiar with SaaS, you know, the software as a service, which is like a peer subscription thing. You don't own the hardware. You just, you just procure a service typically on a monthly basis, for example. When we talk about, you know, kind of satellite as a service or mission as a service, for us, it's really about bundling the hardware and related flight operations services and not so much about, oh yeah, you just, you know, subscribe to a, you know, some conceptual satellite. It's just kind of more of like, we take the guesswork out of it and bundle kind of the end-to-end infrastructure and services so that the customer isn't burdened with, you know, with a lot of really satellite-specific needs, you know, or, or requiring the customer to have really deep expertise in, in satellites. So you take care of the build, the launch, the operation, and all of that easy licensing stuff, that rubber stamp stuff we were talking about? <laughs> yeah, we do. And and it's, you know, we're not forcing all of our customers to say, hey, it's all or nothing. We're definitely flexible there. But what we're finding the, you know, the most traction is, is like, most of our customers don't want to have to deal with any one of those elements. And they realize the efficiencies that can be gained with a single entity like Astro Digital, basically covering all of those. There's a, you know, obviously, you know, licensing depends on the technology. The technology depends on licensing to get a launch. You know, the launch vehicles need to know exactly what they're launching. And so all of that is so related and supports the end goal of getting data or services from orbit that I think it's fairly naturally to bundle those together and and realize those efficiencies, you know, where you don't have to hand off from one entity to another as you look at, at, you know, each one of those elements. We've had a lot of good traction around that, you know, and in some cases we'll, we'll help train our customers to, uh, you know, to fly our hardware. Um, and in others, the customer is more than happy to, to have us, you know, be their flight operations partner as well as their, you know, their satellite manufacturer. That's pretty cool. I mean, as you're talking through this, was there like a garage moment? Like, were you sitting in your garage one day, tootling around, thinking I'm going to make a CubeSat that's going to, you know, do uh, dirt bike stunts on the moon or Kessel Run? Or <laughs> did you have a garage? Did you have a garage moment? I guess that's one question. We always see founders in the garages. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you say that because, uh, let's see, our first uh, handful of years were operated essentially out of a garage outside of NASA Ames in a in an old gas station and car repair facility. <laughs> there you go. The motorhead, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. It just fits, man. It all comes back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of lots of great ideas out there. You know, we we sealed up the roll up doors so we didn't have dust and bugs coming in the in the station. And uh you know, built a clean room inside there, but well, you built a clean room in a gas station. Yeah. Yes, sir, man. Oh yeah. You beat me to that one. That's for sure. <laughs> let's, let's, let's address that one. You built a clean room in a gas station. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, first of all, we had to seal up the gas station. You know, it had multiple roll-up doors for the car base. 
So we locked those down, sealed them up, got the foam sealer around the edges, the whole nine yards, covered it up with ESD safe film <laughs> material. And this is all in Coded. the NOAA report and the CFIUS. <laughs> it's, it's all in there, right? I wasn't even going to go there, but oh, yeah. we all know how clean a bathroom gas station is, right? <laughs> station you just bathroom. feel like you can never scrub some of that oh, stuff out. Man. Oh, man. Yeah, we 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 worked pretty hard and we had a pretty nice setup. It was it was pretty tight, you know, nice and compact and full ESD benches and flow hood on on top of the bench and clean room and everything. It was it was pretty it was pretty good for, you know, for being in a gas station. And that was your dirt bike or for your Harley? <laughs> no, all spa- all spacecraft, all spacecraft. And then, uh, yeah, you know, since, uh, let's see, that was about 2018, we, uh, we left the gas station and moved into a proper, uh, 14,000 square foot facility here in Santa Clara, carried over some of those, some of those lab concepts over here with us, but yeah, we may do, we may do, man. We were on a shoestring budget and, uh, we got it done and actually built some, built some satellites out of that gas station that, uh, that are still in orbit today. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That is pretty awesome. Have you ever wondered how to get your company's latest news in front of a global space sector audience? Then get in touch with Room Space Journal. With a large digital and print audience focusing on space, astronautics, science, and the latest news and developments from the sector, Room Space Journal is a direct route to increasing brand awareness in space. For the latest space news and to download a media pack, visit the website at room.eu.com. What's the coolest project you've ever worked on? Oh, man. Let's see. It's a hard question to answer because each program, each project, each satellite that we built, you know, had, you know, a little bit of a unique experience to it. There's one one project very recently. We built a uh, satellite to uh, basically house a hyperspectral imaging payload. We built it for our customer called Orbital Sidekick. It's a microsatellite. We built the satellite in four months which is a record for us. Basically, the purpose of this satellite is to demonstrate that hyperspectral payload on the way to a constellation of of larger, more capable satellites. I think the coolest thing for that one is just the speed. I can still remember talking about the project and being a little unsure if we could deliver in time. Um, but, uh, you know, just knowing the amazing team that we have and and knowing that, you know, we had done some very recent past missions in in, you know, six or so months which again is like, it's pretty fast. I mean, it's really fast. You went from conversation and concept to delivery in four months. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, we reused as much technology as we can, obviously, but uh, yeah, we went from a, we went from a concept and a, and a, Hey, can you do this? Which I, uh, of course I said, yes. <laughs> well, that's what Richard Branson says, right? Say yes. And then figure uh, it out. Yeah. Figure it out later. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we, we built the satellite in four months. Sure you're not in sales? <laughs> <laughs> when you're the CEO of a, of a startup like, like Astro Digital, you're in sales. Yeah, no matter what, also, all the time, right? You also oh, yeah. clean out the garage and the bathroom <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. and you do it all. Yep. Multiple, multiple hats. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'd say before that one, another mission that stands out is a mission called Palisade. That was also a super fast program really innovative stuff. We built the payload as well for that. 
for that one, we, we contracted with Rocket Lab for a dedicated electron. So, you know, here's Little Astro Digital basically uh, purchasing a dedicated rocket for a satellite that we built in a crazy short amount of time. And, you know, that one was pretty epic. Just the whole thing from, you know, building the satellite, working with, you know, with our partners, including Rocket Lab on the launch. It was, uh, I think, from contract from contract to orbit was about six months. That's crazy. Wow. I'm sensing a theme, though, in terms of the speed. I feel the, feel the need for speed. <laughs> Yeah, speed speed's a big a big element for us. That's why a lot of our customers have come to us is our ability to execute really quickly. And the only way we're able to do that is is just with, you know, extreme extreme competence on the on the design, you know, the engineering aspect and just, you know, having gone through the full process, everything from licensing the satellite to interfacing with the launch providers and the launch integrators, you know, cradle to grave if we if we hadn't done that before you know we would just not be in a position to be able to do things very quickly you know chris one of one of my neighbors is is bill nelson do you think there's anything you could do to help on sls (laughs) 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 i don't know if i'm gonna touch that one man (laughs) i was gonna say what have you got to lose yeah i um (laughs) i'm not sure I'm not sure we could help on that one. Isn't the solution you just throw more money at it? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I've learned from experience that that is definitely not always the solution and and often not the solution. More often than not, I would say. I bet your customers love that one. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, if (laughs) to to know that more money is not the solution. It's not always the solution. (laughs) It could be a contributor to the solution. It definitely could. Yeah, yeah. And if and you know, if you're an Astro Digital customer that's listening right now, it's uh, let's say it's more often better to throw more money at the solution. <laughs> yeah. There's the sales side there coming back. There, there we go. Yeah, I don't know. As as Clint jokes about this, I think we read a an RFI or RFP tender not too long ago where they were talking about what would your technical capabilities be in was it 2035. Uh, Right. Yeah, like 15 years from now, it's like, well, what's the internet going to look like in 2035? Like, whatever you want, I can get it done by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, we try to plan, we try to plan two or three years out, and it feels foggy. And I think that's part of how we've been successful in the last few years is that you know we have to let the market pull and guide us, and we have to listen to it. You know, we've definitely seen some different trends along the way. And it's everything from Earth observation trend to small launch trend, you know, and you you kind of you kind of follow that. And and at the end of the day, those paying customers, I mean, they kind of drive the they drive the roadmap. You know, you can you can prepare and plan, you know, to some level, but at the end of the day, you gotta listen to the market, you know, and go with the market. If you could throw it all out the window with what the market's telling you though, and you could do the one cool thing you've always wanted to do in the space industry, what would it be? Oh, man. Cats with lasers. Come on, Chris. Cats with lasers. (laughs) Always has to come back to cats with lasers. (laughs) I don't know, Clint. I honestly don't know. For me, it's all about just kind of, you know, being involved and supporting the application that creates the most value. You know, whether it's optical imaging, non-optical imaging, whether it's communication relays. I just love the fact of coming up with solutions that are, number one, more than just economically viable, but like valuable. You know, I just love that that idea of 
using engineering, you know, to solve these really hard problems, but, you know, not just solving the problem with a gold-plated solution, but solving the problem with something that's, that's innovative and, and creates a lot of value. You've worked in optical. Do you do any RF work? Like what else, what type of payloads have you built for and what do you think you guys are, are really good at? We started the company really focused on optical imaging. You know, like you said, we've we've built some cameras. We've built, you know, the entire satellite with cameras. We do have a lot of good, you know, RF and communications expertise in the company. And I think that that's probably one of those things that's not as well known about Astro Digital. You know, one of the one of our claims to fame is a really high speed radio that we developed for data downlink. Really small and compact. It utilizes the K band, which is you know it's a, it's a higher frequency that than has been traditionally used for remote sensing, for example. But you know it's one of those things that we're that we're really proud of, and I think that we're really good at. But we've we've done some other radios in house, you know, for different frequency bands, different different purposes. We've got a lot of capability, and we've actually done quite a bit, but is not as widely known. And then you know, aside from that. We've supported or, you know, at least helped our customers work through some of the challenges with different payloads. We've integrated a lot of different propulsion systems, kind of more in the earlier design phase and, you know, at the level of, of kind of demonstrating the capabilities. So we like the fact that we're, that we're helping our customers bring their product to market, you know, by doing some of these hosted payloads or, um, you know, integrating some of these new products with our satellites and getting on-orbit heritage. So if I had to kind of sum it up, I would say that the, you know, more of the RF related payloads is probably, we're probably trending more in that direction. And then in terms of optical payloads, you know, we're working with our existing customers to integrate payloads that they've already developed into our satellite platforms. You know, one of the things I think I would love most about being in your position is you know, you guys are really experts in the satellite bus and the in that piece and new technology coming in the door all the time that you get a chance to test out. You know, and if if someone wants something with a lot of space heritage, like working with Astro Digital and to test something new where you've got this proven capability on this in space heritage, but you get to push the envelope on your own technology, whether it's propulsion or onboard software, or whatever that is, I think being able to see all of that before it really starts to take the market, I think would be incredibly interesting. Yeah, it really, it really is. It's really cool too, because it adds to our toolbox. Every time we become aware of and, and, you know, even, even more so actually integrate a new propulsion technology or, you know, some other new product, it helps us better address our customer needs, you know, across the board because, it's basically like having, like if we were a car, you know, having more options, you know, we've got the leather seats, we got the navigation, the sunroof, you know, all the, all the cool stuff. You know, like you said, it is really cool seeing some of the new developments and the new technologies that are coming forward. I'm particularly excited about some of the new propulsion systems that are out there. I'm seeing a lot of really, really interesting, really cool stuff that has high performance and, and is affordable. That's an area that I'm really excited about and I think has been one of the missing elements for the for the smaller spacecraft, you know, the the microsats, for example. So that's really interesting you, you talk about that because we were just chatting the other day about all the space 
awareness and, and all the, the satellites up there, but are you almost seeing this going or, or have you ever considered the idea of like autonomous satellites kind of driving around up there? Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. I don't know. I don't know where the, where the rational spot is in terms of like level of autonomy. We're always trying to build more autonomy in our testing, in our system level testing on the ground, as well as our flight operations. And so I don't think I have a good sense yet for how, at what level that kind of breaks down, you know, or how, how far you can take it. But I think it's an interesting concept in particular around like collision avoidance, although that's a tricky thing. So that's an area that like propulsion, for example, enables. So kind of looking at all those pieces coming together, I think will will help enable whatever that kind of final level looks like, you know, of autonomy. Um, so it's, a, it's an exciting, exciting spot to be in. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time because unlike aircraft, space hasn't written the rules yet. So I think there's there's that chance to kind of rewrite and and make it way more safe and and way more practical than than currently we see in say aviation. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there. It's not an area that I'm a I'm a complete expert in, but it seems to me that we really need more like more data of like what's up there and where exactly. I mean, I know like like Leo Labs for example is a is a really interesting company you know, with the, uh, the ground-based radar for tracking the objects. And I think, I think more of that kind of stuff is, is definitely going to help, help us better be, in, help us be better informed and come up with, with solutions around the, you know, the traffic management for, for lack of a better term. And then, you know, on the satellite side itself, having more connectivity, being able to be in contact with your satellite for, for more, for a larger part of the, the orbit as well as having these high-performance propulsive capabilities, that's just only gonna help with with the space traffic management, in, in my view. One of the, the things that I thought was really interesting was, you know, being in contact with your spacecraft more consistently. You know, with the work that we saw in Marsat and Capella doing, where they're working to stay in contact basically in real time, all the time with their spacecraft, you know, and that with innovative propulsion capabilities and, and maybe eventually consistently autonomous spacecraft that can react and then getting, you know, the type of modeling and future understanding of, you know, optimizing orbits and building a, a digital twin of near-Earth orbit like Slingshot is working on. I think all of those things are going to help us be better stewards of of near earth orbit and and beyond. Yeah, yeah. 100% agree. So, you know, when we we build these things as a startup, you tend to put a ton of yourself into the business. And I think that that's what people don't realize about a startup in the space industry. We go from these huge mega corporations that have worked in space for for 60 years, you know, and then in those last 5 to 10 years we've had a renaissance of young companies and startups entering the business and you feel like these spacecraft are your babies, you know, and mm -hmm. I can imagine how challenging it is to work on this for so long and so hard. And then at some point, you know, you get to the point where you have to move on to the next spacecraft and you have to deorbit the one that you have. And it's not like these mega constellations with thousands of them up there that 
it's not, you know, the, the CEO himself, like you has stood over the workbench and worked on that spacecraft and it's lived its life. You know, are you to the point yet where you're having to start to plan for deorbiting and the kind of the end of design life for your satellites? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how you characterize the satellites like that, almost like it's a, you know, it's like, it's a, like, it's a child. You're right, man. I mean, for a company like this, for a, a small company, especially in a startup, you know, it's 24 seven, man, for everyone involved in the, in the company, for everyone on the team, you know, you definitely put, put everything into it. And there's a huge sense of pride for each, each project, each mission, and, you know, a sense of, you know, just, yeah, I mean, a sense of pride and a sense of ownership. You know, I think when we think about deorbiting and, you know, end of life and all that, it's all part of being a, a responsible operator and everything, which is really important. And it's actually kind of a good feeling too, because, you know, getting through the full mission, getting those, you know, five years of lifetime out of the satellites and everything is, that's really fulfilling. And it feels like this satellite that that I worked on, that we worked on, did its job. It 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 lasted for the mission, you know. So it's pretty exciting and pretty cool to get through that. And there's some people on our team that have been in the industry you know, a lot longer than me that have satellites that lasted an incredibly long long time in orbit. And we all take a lot of pride in that. We've been watching our team here, all with young ones that uh, they've recently had kids. Andrew had twins recently. Chad has a young one that's- Oh, congrats. Yeah, and and I hear you've had one as well. Yeah, yeah. My daughter's just over three months old. So what's harder, a, a kid or a, a satellite? <laughs> <laughs> careful, careful uh, who's listening to this. <laughs> yeah, harder. Um, we'll ask this again in a year, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think- uh, the company is harder. <laughs> you can get a degree in in the in in building a company. You can't really seem to get a degree in raising kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both are incredibly rewarding and fulfilling and challenging. And you know, I'm my wife and I are just you know just getting started with you know with having children. You know, with our daughter being so young, it's pretty amazing, man. But yeah, like a startup, it's a is challenging, but I'd say the startup's harder. <laughs> and this is your first one, Chris? This is our first, yeah. Yeah. Second one, everything goes out the window. It's all it's all good. It's it's way easier with the second. Ah, nice. Nice, nice. Except when you have them at the same time, right? Yeah, except for twins. Then then that's all <laughs> everything goes out the window there. And it's exponentially more work, let me tell you. <laughs> what would you say to someone that was thinking about starting a business in or having kids this industry or having kids <laughs> but let, let you know your wife might be listening let's not address that one but if, if someone were starting a business in the space industry today what advice would you give them yeah i would encourage them to do it even though it's it can be extremely painful at times and very it is it is just hard it's just difficult it just is you know but there's so much growth and opportunity and I would say, go into it knowing that you're going to need the support of a lot of different people because you're not going to know everything. You're not going to know even close to everything about running a company, starting a company, dealing with the technology, all of it. I mean, there's going to be gaps. Embrace it, ask for help, and start building the network early of 
colleagues in the industry, partners, customers, I mean, you know, the whole nine yards, just, you know, ask for help when you need it. Don't be a jerk <laughs> <laughs> and uh, persevere because it's going to be hard. There's going to be times that suck and there's going to be times that are really, really hard. You know, you just have to keep going. I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but it's, it's the truth. You got to just go. You have to have grit and just keep plowing forward. We know, Chris, you've been so gracious with your time today. You've given us a lot of time for the the podcast. And I always like to give those people that are making waves in the industry and making a difference a chance for a huge, shameless plug <laughs> about their business. So what, if anything, would you say to the world that's listening? And be careful here, because like you're going to get so many calls and so many people wanting to work with like all 10 people that listen to our podcast are going to be calling you as soon as this is is finished. So what, what would you shamelessly plug about Astro Digital today? Yeah, I would, I would say that Astro Digital, we've, we've really hit our stride in, in being a good partner for delivering satellites and related services that, that help you get to market, whether it's data from orbit, whether it's a, you know, a space-based service, we're here to help be that backbone, you know, from from design, production, and operations of of microsatellites. Um, we have, I'll say, the best team in the world for building microsats and operating these satellites. So we're agile, we're flexible, we're fast, and we're innovative. If you've got a mission in mind, and uh, you can use some support, please reach out to us. You can visit our website at www.astrodigital.com, and you can email me directly at chris@astrodigital.com. And Chris will respond fast. And you only need half your checkbook. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, Chris Biddy wearing his Magnum PI Hawaiian shirt Friday. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Feel free to stop by anytime just for a drop in or if you'd like to visit. We'll be glad to have you back. Sounds good, guys. I appreciate it. All you right. guys take care. Thanks, Chris. All right. Wow, that was great. Chris Biddy, Astro Digital. They're doing some really cool work over there. And I think he said he's built 12 satellites. Is that right? Sounds about right. And just the the speed that they're building these satellites and getting them launched. I mean, taking it from concept to launch is unbelievable. Four months and six months on some of those projects that he was working at where they go from the idea in a conversation to having a satellite completed, ready for integration and launch. I mean, unbelievable four months. Yeah. It's like drive-through satellites. Like you just kind of pick it up at the drive-through window and off it goes. <laughs> there might be a little more sophistication <laughs> to it than that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And I'm excited about his radios because I think Chris is going to be the guy that brings Netflix to the folks on the moon and then the folks on Mars. Yeah. I, I don't know. I wonder if he's if they have that patented or or what, but man, that technology is is going to really move the market, I think. I can't wait to see what Astro Digital does next. They're one of the guys that have been here for a long, you know, a long while in new space terms anyway. You know, Chris was talking about how, you know, every year working in new space is like seven years of experience because it's just such a, a challenge and, and so much work. But They've been around and they've made it. And, you know, I hope that um, we get the chance to do the, see them do some really amazing things. So best of luck to uh, Chris Biddy and Astro Digital. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. 
Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space and 60, where new space speaks. Thank you.